Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. This is where we have an ongoing, hopefully interesting, and lively discussion on Bible questions and comments from you and our live audience. I'm a little noise in the background. I don't know where that's going. I apologize for all that noise. Uh, but as usual, in our discussions, we always default to what God's Word has to say about the matter. And we really do want to hear from you in the audience today. And so as we talk about these things, uh, please text us your comments and your questions. And if, if you're using the Zoom app, you have the added benefit of calling in and talking with us directly if you so choose. But don't worry, we don't see your video. We'll just hear your voice. But either way, however you uh, text in or call in, let us know what you're thinking with, that, with any method you're using. Our panelists are, are Stephen and, uh, from Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing? You there? Hey, Drew. I'm right here. How are you? All right. Great. Great. Scott, also from Gettysburg. Scott, you with us? Hi, Drew. How are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you. Jeff from Exton, PA. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Drew. And listen, I think it was my squeaky chair that was making all the noise, so I'm going to go get a different chair, and I'll be back in a second. Okay. No problem. <laughs> Uh, Noah is also with us today, our webcast engineer. He'll be helping out with uh, questions and comments coming in. Hi, Noah. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. Uh, good to see you, too. I'm Drew, your host from Homesdale, Pennsylvania. So welcome, everybody, to the show. Um, actually, we're broadcasting live not only through the Zoom app, but today we're also going through the Bible Quest Facebook page because most of the time, Steve, we've been going through your page, right? That's right. And today uh, we're taking a brief break from that, and we'll be broadcasting through the Bible Quest page. I shared the video on my page, so hopefully people can uh, find it there. Um, and you're, feel free to comment on that, and we'll uh, try to get to those questions as soon as we can. Scott, you had something? Yeah, just a technical question. It looks like to me that our live screen is not us, but the live Bible Q&A slide. Oh, yeah. You know what? Hold on a second. How's that? Oh, I got go. There, too. there we go. Sharing. You know, every day we just have different technical difficulties. It's just the way it is on these things, right? Uh, but I wanted to question on you, Stephen, on your Facebook page. Even though we're broadcasting on the Zoom app and the Bible Quest Facebook page, people can still text in their comments and questions on your page. Well, they probably wouldn't if they're not here in the show, right? They'd have to go right. over to the okay. So, Noah, you'll be monitoring all that on the on the Facebook page, right? Uh, I yes, that's right. a good, so, good point, right? We have you going we, now on the different Facebook page. Yeah, there's we've got literally no viewers on the Facebook. Page. Okay, not yet. Yeah, you can't just change whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Should have announced this. Anyway, that's, that's right. That's all right. Right. well. We have viewers on the Zoom app, and that's what counts. Also, and people will be coming in as they saw they see Stephen's uh, comments. Okay, with all of that said, sorry for the interruptions and everything else. Let's move on. So, Stephen, what's the first question we have up in on the queue here? Well, for today, this uh, question came in I think a couple of weeks ago uh, from Irene, and she asks an interesting question. She asks, what can be said to people who claim to be Christians, but who, quote, pick and choose what to believe? They tolerate worldly views and give generalized comfort to all. Do they make God in their own image? How can we emphasize the full authority of all scriptures? So that's a, a good question. 
and an important one in a world that uh, seems to really value kind of giving comfort to everybody. Um, you know, trying to make sure that everybody feels comfortable. The biggest thing right now is tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. And that's kind of the, the focus uh, of a lot of what is heard right now. And so I think as we answer this question, it's important to kind of try to frame that question. Think about what we're talking about. Uh, it says, she, she asks, what can be said to people who claim to be Christians who pick and choose what to believe? And in this idea of giving generalized comfort, uh, I guess one place you might start with that is in thinking about, are we talking about giving generalized comfort to people who just believe anything about Jesus? Um, because certainly even within Christianity, there are certain things about Jesus that you have to believe in order to, to be saved. What, what are y'all's thoughts or comments on that on a general basis? I think it's, it's interesting to think about what you said about the general attitude of tolerance today. People say constantly, you know, uh, just be you, don't let people judge you, accept people, tolerate people. But I think, I don't think anybody takes that, you know, all the way through. Uh, if everything is to be tolerated, why do we even have jails? Uh, you know, it, if you have a, if you have a, if you have a pet in the house, you know, if you get a dog, do you just tolerate everything? Well, this dog doesn't bother to go outside. It just, you know, uh, you know, takes care of its business all over the carpet. Most people don't say, well, you just, it's all good. <laughs> yeah. just, just be tolerant. No, people understand that that dog needs to be trained. Children. There's too many people that aren't acting that way about before God are, you might say, much more immature before our heavenly creator than our small children are before us. And we need to be trained. So this is just idea that everybody is to be accepted and tolerated. If so, why is Harvey Weinstein in trouble? Yeah. What he's done should not be tolerated, and I'm glad it's not. So I, there are two thoughts that come to my mind, and, and one is something I've been I've been talking about in a couple of different venues lately. And children, but children need to be trained. And guess what? We as adults, and that is just the respect for the Bible as the Word of God. People who believe the Bible is the Word of God have different ideas as to what extent it applies to us. Um, and the, the illustrations I was using uh, when it comes to just church organization and how we worship, and that's not really necessarily what we're talking about here, but if you think about it, if you look at the denominational world, there's there are wide variations in how churches are organized. Uh, if you look at how people worship, many churches use instrumental music today, um, some do not. But on both of those topics, it's generally understood by the scholars and by the seminary-trained pastors in the various denominations that have the different practices. It's generally recognized that in the New Testament, Christians did not use instrumental music, that in the New Testament, the church organization was a certain thing. Bishops, for example, overseers or shepherds or elders were all terms that referred to the same office. And my point isn't to get into those topics. My point is, 
in spite of the fact that everybody goes, yeah, that's what the Bible says, then we end up doing different things and, and in, in the religious world. Why is that? It's a different attitude as to how much authority the, the Word of God has. It's a different attitude as to what extent we should uh, apply what we read in the Bible to our own practice today. So that, that's one observation. I've got another one, but I've talked enough for now. Yeah, Jeff, I think what you're, you're, you're saying, too, is authority is, Bible authority is what, what we need to adhere to, but I, isn't it true that the majority of religious people don't think that we need that exact authority or that, you know, we can come up with our own authority in certain cases. Isn't that yeah. Right? And so there's the pick and choose mentality that whoever asked this question was alluding to that I can pick and choose what I think is relevant. So when it comes to a, an understanding of God, people pick the understanding of God that he's loving and they don't pick the understanding of God that he's holy and he condemns sin. And so you look at the Bible, and there are pictures of judgment. There are pictures where God condemns people, and people want to kind of ignore that, and they don't want to believe that. There's a passage in John 10. It's in John 10, verse 34 and 35. And the Jews are upset because Jesus has said something uh, he said, I and the Father are one, and they're going to stone him because he's making himself God. And so what he does is he he goes back to the Old Testament to show that in the Old Testament, mere men to whom God's word came were called gods. Uh, and here he is who has not, he's not a man living in the world to whom the word of God came. He is the word of God come into the world. So if if men in the Old Testament could be called God, surely he can. But he makes this point as he quotes from Psalm 82, verse 6. He says in verse 34, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came, and then there's this parenthetical observation, and Scripture cannot be broken, Say ye of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said I am the Son of God. The point I want to get out of that is his simple observation, Scripture cannot be broken. You can't pick and choose the parts that you like. And that's what people are doing when it comes to our understanding of God and what he expects of us. We can't do that in the society we live in today here in the U.S. We can't pick and choose which laws are we going to submit to. Um, but it seems like in a religious sense, we can, or we don't really realize that Jesus is our king. If we're a Christian, Jesus is our king, and, and any monarch has subjects, and if we're subjects, then we're to be subjected to the king. But we don't want to really be under authority. You know? I, I, recall, I remember, I don't want anyone telling me what to do, and that's part of the problem. You know, one of the things that's interesting about the book of John, uh, and I think this is a powerful point that sometimes gets missed, is over and over, particularly in the Gospel of John, um, by the way, before I get into this point, I think there's something weird with the video. Like when I'm talking, uh, the video is not switching to me. I think, y'all, can y'all hear my audio okay? And we see you. And we do see oh, you. you do? Okay. On mine, okay. it's not highlighting my screen. Usually I show up. Uh, when yeah. I'm talking, but it doesn't look like the video is switching. Okay, well, that's just on my end then. Okay, so John, uh, if we start back in John chapter 5, 
uh, Jesus over and over in the Gospel of John emphasizes his own attitude toward the Word of God and God's authority. In John 5 and verse 19, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And you skip down in John chapter 5, verse 30, uh, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. When you go over to John chapter 7, uh, in verse 17, John seven seventeen, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And a couple more in John chapter 8, or at least one more here. John chapter 8 and verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And I think as a powerful precedent, as we approach this question of, well, can we just pick and choose, or how accountable are we to God? Jesus came to earth to show us the kind of attitude that we ought to have as we handle God's will. And Jesus was perfectly clear. He says, if God didn't say anything about it, like, I'm not going to presume. I'm not going to make up my own will. Uh, I'm going to just do those things that I see the Father doing and stay within that authority that he's given. So I just think that's powerful to look at Jesus himself and how he handled it. When someone picks and chooses, when we pick and choose, what do we pick? What parts of the Bible do we pick as, as being applicable to us? What parts of the Bible do we think are the ones that we should follow? The ones, the ones that we like. We like or that we're already following. The ones that we're already following. The ones we, we believe, that we think are right. So then if, if I do that, am I really following God as God? Or what is really my ultimate? Yeah, that's not really submission. Huh? That's not really submission. It, it's submission to somebody, but it's not submission to God. Right, right. Who's it submission to? Either, either to yourself Myself. or to some other Myself. person. I, I am my own God. I had a I had a student years ago, and she was an administrator in a uh, Catholic school, but she she loved to, to study the Bible. And as a matter of fact, she was a, she was a Greek student of mine, and she she was a very good student, outstanding student. In fact. She did so well that after she finished my course, um, she then would go on her own and she translated the book of John. And every now and then she'd give me a call and, you know, to check on something. So that's how into the scriptures she was. But she was one of these people. She was a feminist. And there were things that the Bible says about the relations between men and women and women in the church that she didn't believe. She said, that's not God's word, that's just Paul saying his own ideas there. And so one time I asked her, I said, how do you know which passages of Scripture are from God and which ones are not? And she said, oh, that's easy. When I read it, I just run it through my own life experience, and if it resonates with my own life experience, then I know it's from God. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's just an expression in John 8, and it may be translated my word has no place in you. But in my translation, it words it like this. My word has not free course. 
in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we, uh, a couple of illustrations, I want to think of for a minute about Lord, Jesus being Lord. Um, what does the word Lord mean? Master. Master. Yeah. And so like in, for instance, in Luke six forty six, Jesus poses the question, why do you even call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things I say, do the things that I say. When you think about what that word Lord means, you see why he's posing that question. It's like if a boss of a company, you know, his employees are just not doing it all what he said, but they say, yes, sir, boss. He says, Kind of like from Princess Bride. You keep using that word. (laughs) (laughs) Um, People want Jesus for the Savior job, but they don't want him for the Lord job. Yeah, that's right. And and he's both. And one way to visualize it would be this. Um, if, If I have a company, okay, and I, uh, Say, Stephen, you're uh, my employee. And Stephen does such a good job that I decide, wow, man, I'm going to let him, you know, run this thing. And uh, I'm going to, you know, go to Bermuda. (laughs) And so I said, Stephen, I'm going to let you take care of day-to-day operations. And you can can decide bonuses. You can uh, can do quality control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't do the hiring and firing. I'm going to take care of that. Uh, But I'm going to let you manage things on a day-to-day operation, and I'll be checking in with you. Okay. Sounds good. Who's who's still the boss? You are, Scott. Yeah, but on a practical level, it can look like Stephen, because he's doing a lot of the work, and he's, he's taking care of this and this and this and this, and we can do that with God. We can look to God and say, God, I'm going to let you take care of that. Okay. Uh, you know what? I didn't want to be a drunkard anyway, so you can have that one. Um, and, uh, you know, nobody want to kill right now, so murder. You can have that one. We'll do that your way. And we deal out a lot of cards to God, but then we keep a few and we say, you know what? I'm going to keep this one. Who's in charge there? You are. Yeah. Yeah. The Lordship of Christ requires, what, what did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. It's, it's Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. If you want to follow me, but it's the very first thing he says you have to do, Luke 9, 23. Take, take up, up your cross. Deny self. Yeah. Take up your cross. Follow me. And as long as we're delegating to Jesus, I'll let you do that, but not this. That means we're, we're trying to retain control, and we can we can pretend to ourselves. But look at all the things, like you know, look at all the things. I, I went to church on Sunday. I prayed before my meal. I, I, I read my Bible. I gave some money to that poor guy. Look at all that that I'm doing. But it doesn't mean that there's submission. That's what they're doing there is taking the authority on those certain cards, like you said, put in your pocket themselves. But in Matthew, uh, what twenty eight. 18, Jesus claims and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. All authority has been given to him, not just pieces of it. Yeah, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, It's also interesting to me, I was in a study recently in Matthew 11, and at the end of that chapter, Jesus uh, 
has some very severe words and some very comforting words. And if you think about this idea of people who just want to give comfort to all, just general comfort, you know, you're all good. Uh, Jesus didn't do that. In the end of Matthew 11, and starting in now, verse Stephen, 20. Let me, let me interrupt you, Stephen, because that's, that, I think, was the core of the question about people just saying everything is okay and good, Jesus loves you, and we're all going there, and it's going to be fine. Right. And looking at what Jesus actually said, you know, you remember a few years back when those WWJD bracelets yeah. were popular. What would Jesus do? You know, before we ask what would Jesus do, we ought to ask the question, WDJD, what did Jesus do? <laughs> what did Jesus say? Because you know, a lot of people speculate about what would Jesus do without knowing what he actually did and what he actually said. So Jesus said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. I mean, wow, that's we the shocking language jesus says yeah sodom and gomorrah yeah that was nothing compared to what's coming for you uh, whoa jesus how can you say that but then just a few verses later in verse 28 and again th this is the stuff you see cross-stitched and put on the wall but it's right in the same context he says come to me all who are who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And those aren't two different Jesuses. That's the same Jesus. And yeah, it, it, yeah. It's a package um, deal. You know, your reference to cross-stitch passages was funny to me. You know, our God is a consuming fire. That's not one you generally see cross-stitch. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but that's also part of the truth that's, that's part of who our god is that's right yeah. you had a comment matthew 7 jesus ended the sermon on the mount like this jesus said enter you in by the narrow gate wide is the gate broad is the way that leads to destruction many are those that enter in thereby narrow is the gate straight the way that leads to life few are they that find it beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are are raven and wolves Verse 21, this is the, how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by your name, and by your name cast out demons, and by your name do many mighty works? And then all professing to them, I never knew you. I depart from me, you that work iniquity. Everyone that hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man that did what? Built his house on a rock. And when the storm comes, it stands. But everyone that hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man that built his elsewhere. 
on the sand. And when the flood comes, it destroys it, and great is the fall thereof. So if we're, if we're asking what Jesus' view is, does what he says matter? Yeah, just look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So I have a question. Yeah. I have a question for you, Stephen. You had read, you started the, the conversation off, I forgot where it was, you, one, one of the passages in John, Mm-hmm. He said that this is how you will know. This is how you'll know my commandments. Or I forget what it is, but it, it was a it was an interesting play play there. You will know this by doing them. You remember that? What scripture it was? I meant to oh, stop there and ask the question, but I didn't. You see, it sounds um, a little bit like First John two. Well, in verse in John eight is the last one that I read in John eight twenty eight. Uh, so Jesus said to them, "When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority." Is that is that the one that you're no, thinking? Of? I think it's the one just before that. So let's, let's let's throw this in from First John chapter two verse three. Hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He that says, "I know Him." and keeps not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in it. It's very similar to that, and it relates to the same thing. I think it's said in the one that you would, unless I misparaphrased in my head, um, you will know God if you keep my commandments, or something like that. Well, uh, John fifteen ten says, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. But it, it, in the same vein. Close. But it was something that just put up a little flag in my ear. I, I, John I, seven seventeen. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. That's it. Okay. Now, talk about that a minute. Read that again. Where, where are you located on that one? John chapter seven, starting uh, that's verse seventeen specifically, but he starts talking in verse eight, uh, sixteen rather. John seven <laughs> verse sixteen. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. That's the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. It's that verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God. That's and this is a subtle point in connection with that passage, but in the original language, it's not a noun if anyone's will is to do God's will. It's a verb if anyone wills to do his will, if he chooses to do God's will. And the point that I would make here is that we have to choose to submit our will to God. Yep. But wait a minute, that, now that even makes more an interesting thought. If you if you choose to do the will, then you're going to know whether the teaching is from God or not. Is that what it's saying? Does it not, isn't it a similar principle maybe to Matthew 7, 7, seek and you shall find? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but here's the doing part. And if you do it, unless I'm making more out of it than what's, what's there in the verse, if you do his will, you're going to know then it's from God. Well, there's a contrast in verse 17 and 18. The individual who wills to know God, to do God's will, he's made up his mind. I want to do God's will. 
Well, then it says of him, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak, Jesus speaks from myself. Now, here's the contrast, verse 18. He that speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he that seeks the glory of him that sent him, the same is true and no unrighteousness is in him. So I, th- I think it is in the same vein as Matthew chapter 7, seek and you shall find it. Scott, you mentioned the idea, if I want to do God's will, I will look at what Jesus is saying. I will listen to it. I will see he's not seeking his own glory. But if I'm seeking my own glory or my own will, then I'm not going to recognize what he's saying as being from God. Yeah, and the, and the word authority is in that verse 17. Whether I am speaking on my own authority. Well, the, the idea is certainly there, uh, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. That, that's certainly the idea of my own authority as opposed to God's authority. Right. Okay, good, good. No, that's fine. Yeah. Well, I think we've, I hope we've answered that question well, because um, we've really, that last part of the question asked, how can we emphasize the full authority of all scriptures? And I think these passages we've gone to hopefully do a good job of doing that. Do you all have any other thoughts on that first question? Just like to encourage our viewers, send us your comments and questions, and we still have uh, 15 minutes of uh, program time here that we should have time to get to them today. Very good. I have just one final observation on it. We've talked about it a lot, but I'd just like to leave everybody with this thought. If you're a Pharisee in the first century, if you just look at the things that you're doing right, you can say, I give a tithe of all that I get. I fast twice in the week. Uh, I'm in good shape. If you're a Sadducee, you might say, you know, uh, I I go to the temple, you know, maybe I'm a a priest, maybe I'm the chief priest, I'm busy doing these sacrifices. Uh, Any of us, if we just look at the things that we're doing right and start trusting in ourselves that we are righteous in that, instead of either trusting in Jesus to you know, for, for the grace to forgive us of our sins that we've committed, but also submitting to Jesus in those areas where, where because Jesus is not mad at the Pharisees because they're not tithing enough. That's not the problem. He's not upset at the Pharisees because they didn't strain out the gnats. And so all of this, it can be good for us to not be careful about looking at what we do right and evaluating that and not noticing where we're wrong and need to change. Mm-hmm. Good thought. Okay. Well, we, so, we, we uh, another question come in or go ahead, Drew. No, I was going to ask you if you have another question up on the queue. Yeah. yeah so the next question that we have in the queue for today um, is a question from Jeremy. And he asks, what exactly does it mean to forsake the assembly? And my understanding here is Jeremy is referencing Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. I just want to read that as we get into the questions. We know what we're talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll read verses 24 and 25 to get uh, the full statement there. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says not neglecting to meet together. But does anybody else have a different translation on that? American Standard has not forsaking our own assembling together. All right. 
the questioner sent in the question, like, what about people that um, they are not there all the time or they've missed for a few weeks because of this? Yeah, let, let me finish reading Jeremy's question real quick. I meant to finish reading that. Go ahead. Uh, it says, is going to a sports event on a Sunday morning and then taking communion on your own considered forsaking? What about never going to the Bible study set up by the local congregation? Or not attending service for three weeks in a row simply because of being frustrated with the supposed lack of spirituality and having services at your home with your family? I often hear different people give their takes on it, but I want to know if there's a fully, this is the way the Bible says, way. Uh, often it seems people have different takes just because it fits their wants and desires. I'd like to make a couple of observations as we start to look at this. And that is, A, understanding what the Hebrew text is referring to, but B, understanding this is not the only text that addresses our attitude and whether or not, you know, like David says, I was glad when they said, let us go up to the house of the Lord or seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, and I'm, I'll offer a very current sports illustration because we're dealing with that right now. Uh, contextually, in Hebrews, you've got the author is writing to a group of people, and he's writing to them, and he periodically references another group of people. The people he's writing to, the author of Hebrews, are they really, really, really doing well, or are they kind of need steadfastness and in danger of slipping? The latter. In general. The latter. Yeah, yeah. Danger. Throw out a few of the phrases from Hebrews that we can see the people he's writing, and he's encouraging them to step up and do better. Let us hold fast to the confession. Yeah, over and over. Hold fast, hold fast. Lest any be overtaken. Lest any have a heart of unbelief, an evil heart of unbelief. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, by now, you ought to be teachers, but you need to have somebody go back and teach you the first principles. Yeah. Uh, you, you have need of endurance. Remember how you started out. So they need to do better, but they're not doing as badly as some other people. And he makes reference to them in both chapter 6 and chapter 10. So you got A, the author, B, the recipients, and then C, these other people. What does he say about those in chapter uh, the C section in chapter 6? He's, he's saying to the B section at the end of 5 and beginning of 6, you guys ought to be teachers by now, but you become dull of hearing. But come on, let's step up and let's try to get past the first principles. But then who does he reference in verse? And, and then he says in verse 3, and we will do this. But verse he, references, says one. he references those who have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and then have crucified themselves the Son of God afresh. Yeah. And, they're, yeah. and then he says, the land that drank the rain that came off and upon it, and all it does is bring forth thorns and, th thorns and thistles, it, it's going to be burned up. But he says, we're persuading better things of you. Yeah, yeah. Verse 9, we are persuaded better things of you, though we thus speak. Even though I'm reprimanding you, I'm expecting you to do better. But those people over there, I can't do anything for them because they're, they're crucifying God afresh. You know, I believe that's the same group of people he's talking about here in chapter 10. When he says in verse 19, having oldness, brother, to enter into the holy place. Verse 2, what does he tell them to do in verse 22? Draw near with a true heart. Yeah. Let us draw near. Uh, in verse twenty-three, 
That's where he let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Yeah, because he's faithful to the promise. And what should we be doing in verse 24? Consider how to stir each other up. To do to love and good works. Not why? Not neglecting to meet together. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some. Yeah, is. And then he says, because if we sin willfully after we've received knowledge of truth, there's no more sacrifice for sins. And then he again refers to those in verse 29 who have trodden underfoot the Son of God, counted the blood of the covenant an unholy thing. It's not like, it, it's, more, it's more than just saying, don't miss church. This is more of a commitment to the body. This is, well, there is to be a commitment to the body, but he's, he's referring to these people, step up and keep doing what you need to do. Don't be like those people that have just quit. Now, that doesn't mean that I can say, well, I haven't totally quit, so, hey, looks like a good day to go fishing. And, uh, hey, there, there's a good ball game on TV. Or my, my son's in a Little League game. There's some other principles. What are some other principles? Well, before you go there, before you go there, hold, hold on, before you go there, uh, Jeff, maybe you know this better than I do, I'm sure, but the word neglecting, and that, whatever that Greek word is, I thought I was reading that it, it refers to a, an abandoning, a deserting. Yeah, it's, uh, that's my understanding. Yeah, it's, it's a compound of lapo, um, and, and it doesn't, what it does not mean, it does not mean miss a gathering of the saints on a particular occasion. Uh, that's, that's the point I was trying to make, and I think yeah. that then is going to go into what you're about to say, right, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'll just throw this out there because we're dealing with this right now. Um, so Zach is going to be, uh, looks like, on the uh, local high school team this year. And the coach, is he was talking to his parents. He said, this is a, you know, he's wanting to let us know this is a serious commitment. This is a real commitment to play high school basketball. And so you can't miss a practice without being excused. And he said, I'll just let you know about the only excuse I accept is if you're sick. So I explained he can be at practice on Monday night. He can be at practice on Tuesday night. But on Wednesday night, he's going to need to leave practice a little bit early because of our commitment. We're going to be at Bible study that night with the other brethren at church. And he started explaining how that was kind of a problem. And, we, you know, it was a little bit of a standard. And he ended up saying, well, you know, um, if he's okay with understanding that I'm going to have to play the boys that will come to all the practices in front of him, you know, then okay. And, and see, that's admirable because Zach, Zach wasn't saying I'm going to put God's things first as long as – I don't lose any opportunities elsewhere. Right. He was putting God's things first regardless. And that's what our attitude needs to be. Just real quickly, just since you asked about the, the use of or the meaning of the word forsake, there are some well-known passages where it's used. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that's, that's the same word. When in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes from Psalm 16, thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol. That's the same word. So, so yeah, Drew, you, you've got the right idea there. But then what, what Scott's illustrating with, with Zach is 
we need to seek God's kingdom, his rule, and his righteousness first. We need to put those things first. And notice what the coach was saying. And from a purely basketball perspective, and I said, hey, you're the coach. You've got to make the decisions that you make. So is he going to get to be on the varsity team, or will he be bumped down to junior varsity? You know, will he be sitting on the bench and just play a few minutes at the end or not? I hope he gets to play more. But the thing is, the coach's point of view is this is serious commitment. If you're going to be on this team, he wants you to understand what. Don't neglect coming to the yeah, front. Yeah, you, you don't just, you know, say, well, if I feel like it, I'll show up. I expect you to be committed. Well, I, I, I can respect that type of commitment in basketball. The thing is, I've got a bigger commitment to Jesus than, than to that. Stephen. <laughs> You know, it is interesting that the coach seems to be asking for something pretty similar to what yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. the Lord is asking. Right. And don't stop coming to practice or don't like plan to miss a bunch of them. You know, uh, if you're sick, okay, but like make your plans to be there because you need to be committed. And ultimately we need to be committed to the Lord more than any game that there is. And I remember when I was growing up, uh, when the Olympics in 1996 were in Atlanta, Georgia, I lived in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. I don't know how we did this, but we ended up getting, I think two free tickets to an Olympic soccer game at Legion field in Birmingham, Alabama. And, uh, that was, that was a big deal to me. I was a soccer player growing up and I was so excited about that. And it turned out the game was on a Wednesday night. And so I was pretty young at the time. I was in elementary school, and I, I, I wanted to go to the game. But my parents said, listen, we're going to be at Bible study that night. And it's, it's a really cool game. It's Olympic, you know, but it's just a game. It's, it's just a game. And, and we're going to be a Bible study. And, and as a young man, that made a tremendous impression on me. I didn't fully understand at the time. But looking back, I'm so grateful for the example that my parents set for me about what's most important. And, you know, the question, would I have gone to hell if I missed a Wednesday night? Well, no, that's not the point. That's not the real question. It's what is most important when there's a conflict of interest. What are you making a priority? What are you making a priority? And then I have a comment. True, go ahead. Well, what Stephen is saying and what you had just said, Scott, Lori gave us a, a follow-up question to the previous discussion, but it relates to what you're talking about right now. She says, uh, follow-up question to Scott's last comments, Disc- last being the previous subject. Discuss some areas in which we may not be truly following slash submitting to God without realizing it. Good that connection. Relates. That relates exactly to this, right? Yeah, good connection. So go ahead, Scott. Why don't you follow oh, up with that? <laughs> I, I was going to mention this. For instance, the scripture doesn't say you have to have Bible study with the brethren on Wednesday night. But do you remember what Daniel did every day? Pray with his window. Did he got in trouble for? Yeah. yeah did the Torah say? Did the Torah say at a certain time of day you have to? No, but that was his habit. That's what he was doing in service to God. And when somebody tried to get him to stop doing it. He, he, he doesn't stop doing it. Um, back to the coaching, for instance. I, I like the coach. I think he's a good guy. I like him. Uh, and, and uh, you know, hope, hope the team does well and everything. But if instead of just a nice guy coaching the team, 
if he, through who I was created, was coaching the team, if he who died on the cross for me was coaching the team, and if he who was going to be my judge on the last day was coaching the team, then where had I better put every utterance to the coach? You're right there with him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> and uh thing is, there's nobody on earth today that does all those things. And if that coach and that basketball were the most important thing in your life, that's what you'd do. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And and so we think about what is supposed to be the most important thing in our life. And not, it's not basketball. That, for instance, Jeff, when you and I were growing up in Alabama, would yeah. they have ever scheduled a Little League game on Sunday morning? No, 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 no. People went to church. Here in Gettysburg, it comes spring and summer. You all go in on Sunday morning, huge soccer tournaments. Everybody's there. Why? Because when you and I were growing up, those, a lot of those, those coaches themselves were probably going to go to church. But if they weren't, they knew, man, if we schedule a game on Sunday morning, the parents are going to say, what? No way. No. But you know what the soccer coaches up here in Pennsylvania understand? If we schedule those games on Sunday morning, Everybody will come because nobody's yeah, yeah, going to understand. Hey, there's a soccer game. And our values need to be different than making sports the priority. So there, right there is then an, a, a, an area that we could not, we're doing it, what I've been realizing, we're not submitting to God. We're not following him without realizing it because we're now doing yeah. these other things and we're, we're excusing ourselves. Yeah. And I know we're pretty much out of time here, but I want to just real quick on Jeremy's question. Sports was just one of the dimensions he mentioned. There's another where you're frustrated with a lack of spirituality. And so you, you leave. One of the things about Hebrews 10, I think is notable and sometimes overlooked is verse 24, right? Yeah. Before verse yeah. 25. It said, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. It doesn't say, let us consider how others ought to be stirring us up right. to love and good works. If I'm concerned yeah. about lack of spirituality, I'm not improving that situation at all by just saying I'm not going to go. Yeah. That's right. Good points. Right. Really if, good. if we if we see weakness, uh, then we ought to be people who want to reach out and help those people, and we can't help them when we split off and go do our own thing. Uh, Drew? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to put up the, the closing screen here. If anybody wants to contact us directly, I mean, you, during the show, you can obviously contact us, but anytime after the show, you can go to the website, BibleQuest.tv, fill out the form there and ask any questions, give your um, comments there, or you can... Uh, directly mail email us or even phone us our phone number is right there on the screen uh, our email address is any one of our first names whether it be jeff me drew stephen scott at biblequest.org that's the email address contact us directly uh i really want to thank everyone for the with your comments and questions that did come in today guys you did a great job i really thank you for your work thanks guys thanks, thanks everybody for tuning in today all right, and we'll hopefully we'll look forward to seeing everybody next week. Bye.